0: Welcome to the Authentic Life Connection Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I'm a master certified life coach, author, personal trainer, and nutrition specialist. For over a decade, I've been helping people with their dreams and goals for their life and health. I spent many years watching people get frustrated with their journey in life and giving up on taking actions towards their goals. So I dug in deep to find answers to why so many of us face this same frustration and struggle in life. So in this podcast, we're going to dive in deep on topics surrounding what it means to consistently live a fulfilling and authentic life, where you are unstoppable and taking action towards your dreams and goals. So the only question is, are you ready to start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. You picked a fascinating episode to join in on for your first time. And those of you now joining in for your, what is it, 114th time? We're on episode 114. It's still going to be fascinating because, well, really all of my episodes are fascinating. But this week, I was challenged a little bit with the topic, and I enjoyed that. I usually do research when it comes to the topics that I talk about. I don't just like come on here and express my opinion. I do talk a lot about my opinion as a life coach and the experience that I have as a life coach, but most of the stuff that I present on the podcast is also um, information that I'm receiving from other people, information that I'm reading from um, online sources, research papers. But this week... I had a topic that was really rather interesting, and it's a topic that my husband is also very interested in, which is the topic of semantics. Um, we both really enjoy the topic of semantics, and this week what I'm wanting to talk about is how the topic of semantics applies to how we use the word failure as a, on a societal level, on a global level, and I was challenged by my husband because you know i was i was talking to him about what i was finding and i was talking to him about the fact that there is this um systemic negative bias in the semantic use of the word failure and um also that we use it synonymously with the process of learning and that this was problematic and he was like well do you know that there is actually a systemic usage of the word that, um, you know, that that has a negative bias towards it. And I was like, yeah, of course. And he was like, I would be interested to know if there's research on this. So I went to the Googles <laughs> and I did my research. And, well, we're going to find out about that later as far as whether I was right or not. I was right, though, just so you know. Um, and, you know, I was presenting all this information to my husband. He was really fascinated with it. But it was a bit challenging for me because... Um, challenging in a way that I enjoyed. It was challenging in the way that I was, you know, really digging into some research papers and really searching and, like, finding how these research papers were tied to other research papers and just really diving into the research. And some of the stuff that I found was super fascinating. And it was, like, stimulating my brain to think of all these different things. And I was like, no, Seth, stay focused, stay focused. Because, like, <laughs> I was really, by the end of all the research, I was like, oh, my God, I could talk about this in the podcast. I could talk about this in the podcast and I could and my husband was like, you're gonna confuse the crap out of people if you do that so bring it into focus what do you want what is the objective that you want out of this podcast episode And that was challenging for me both looking at all of this research and then like reining it into being like okay present a unified message here so that people can take something away from this podcast episode and not just feel like their brain is exploding So that's what we're talking about today is the topic of semantics and how it relates to to our, you know, societal, cultural, global use of the word failure. And, you know, also in other languages. So, I mean, I was also asking people, I live here in Switzerland, and the majority of people where I live speak German, so I was also asking people who speak German natively their relationship to this term, and the German term that they would use in relationship to it, Um, and also some people that speak French, some people who speak Spanish, um, what other languages were involved so oh korean and italian and i believe that's it so several languages were involved here and you know this is some some pretty th- i would for this podcast is pretty thorough research okay so it's it's not this isn't just anecdotal evidence this isn't just me stating what i observe this was me actually going out and polling people and talking to them about it as well as reading research online So when we talk about the topic of semantics, some of you might be like, okay, what is it? Others of you are like, oh, come on, Seth, really? Semantics? Blah, 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 blah. Stay tuned here, because number one, semantics is not as minuscule and as unimportant as so many people are kind of playing it out to be, number one. Number two, if you don't understand what it is, here, pay attention. Semantics is basically the study of the meaning behind words, especially concerning presupposition and implication when it comes to words. So presupposition is something that can be um, tactically tactfully assumed beforehand. So in other words, we can assume something ahead of time. So when someone uses a word before explaining, we can sort of assume what they mean by that word. That's where semantics is involved. And as far as implication... It means a conclusion that can be logically drawn from something even if not explicitly stated. So when we're talking about words, what I mean is that semantics is involved in the fact that when we use words, there is an implied meaning, there is a meaning that can be assumed about that word, a conclusion that can be drawn about the usage of that word without the person specifically saying, this is what I mean. Alright, this is important to pay attention to here, and semantics is very powerful in this way, and it's important because the words we choose tell a story. They say more than just, like, the direct meaning of the words. Words have applied connotations in certain social circles and in certain cultures. Words also have implied unique meanings from person to person as we learn language and our relationship to words and the concepts that they convey and communicate about life. And as we learn and develop our skills of language when we are young, we form certain ideas and attachments to words and what they mean for us each individually, but also how this fits into a greater context with the people around us and the usage of language as the powerful tool that it is that we have as humans. Language is how we communicate feelings and ideas to one another. And semantics is about studying this relationship between the words that we choose and the implied and the presupposed meanings of what those words mean without the person having to explain it. This is what makes language possible. So semantics, my friends, is very frickin' important. So important. And, you know, we have this sort of culture around like, oh, that's just semantics, you know, like, oh, so now we're just going to talk semantics. Like, it's this unimportant thing. But I'm here to tell you guys, semantics is powerful. It is very important for us to look at when it comes to the ideas that we are putting out into the world based on the words that we choose and our Each individual relationships to those words as well as our cultural and societal relationships to those words when we are trying to communicate ideas to other people, which is what language is about. Language is our system to be able to effectively communicate thoughts, feelings, concepts, and ideas across large numbers of people. But unfortunately, because of this, it comes with its limitations, And semantics is one way that we can become aware of those limitations and the power of the words that we're using and be more intentional about the words that we use and the the contexts in which we use them and understanding the implications that they will have in those contexts and in those societal contexts, cultural contexts, you know, all these different ways. It has a massive impact. So when it comes to semantics, the way I see it, and this is not exhaustive, so I'm not trying to say like there's, there's only two ways here, but the, the main way that I see most people approaching semantics is that there are two major ways in which we can use semantics as a powerful tool in how we create our own mindset about life. And how we create cultural and societal mindsets about life, the world, people, whatever. And so these two major ways that we can can use semantics in a powerful way would be... So option number one is changing the words that we choose to use based on what we understand through semantics. Option number two is is changing our relationship to specific words as we understand them on a cultural and societal level to create relationships with words in which we can use them in a more beneficial way, according to whatever our goals are on an individual or societal level. So option one is more about freeing ourselves from being enslaved to a predetermined meaning of a word. And this means that when we use it, or if anyone else uses it, we have the power in deciding what that word means about our story of life, our story of ourselves. We can choose to empower ourselves with it, or disempower ourselves with the words and the meanings that we apply to them. So this is what option one offers us, is the freedom of this. The other option, option number two, changing our... No, I'm sorry, I got those backwards. So option number one or option number two is the one where we change our relationship with the word so that we are not enslaved to the predetermined meanings of words and when other people use them or when we use them. So that's changing our relationship to a word. So in other words, when the word, when we talk about failure, when the word failure is used, what do you have a story about the word failure individually meaning for you? What do you want it to mean for you? And does it match what we're, what we're using it for on a societal and cultural level? This is important to pay attention to. There's a lot of power there and, and our ability to create our emotional experience of life by our relationship to words. Now, the second option or the the other option was about changing the words that we actually choose to use use so with this option it is about disrupting a system a systemic use of how a word is being used either culturally or societally or within certain contexts and we use this to create a different system about how we want to approach life as a society or as a culture and we can use both methods Neither is right or wrong. It really all depends on our objective in the moment. You can expect that if you change your relationship to the word, and especially if you change it super drastically, that many people will not understand you and what you mean when you use that word. And this could be used to strengthen your ability to stay on your story of life even when others misunderstand you, to expect that if you start using the word with a different meaning, that a lot of people are going to misunderstand you and assume that you mean something else that you don't actually mean. Okay, so when we change our relationship to a word, we want to put it into context of what this actually means. And what it's going to mean for how we relate to other people and use language to communicate ideas to other people. So when we just change our relationship to the word, then it's like we almost have to explain to the person, yeah, but when I use this word, this is what I mean. Otherwise, we can just assume that they probably have a different meaning of what we actually mean when we say the word. Okay? So then... We can also expect that when we start using different words than the ones that are expected in certain situations, such as the word failure, so where most people would expect that you would describe a certain circumstance as failure, but you choose to use a different word instead, um, then you can expect that people will also have questions or possibly misunderstand. They might misunderstand and choose to not ask questions. But some of them may want to understand further, like, why are you choosing to use that word here? Like, how does that make sense? Why wouldn't you use the word failure here? Because that's what everyone would use in this situation. And the goal here is so that we can also um, be able to stay in our story about what we want the story to mean while allowing others to commit to their story and even maybe misunderstand you. But we also sort of open up this, this ability to question. Why are we using this word in this situation? Like, why, why is, why do we feel that that's the most appropriate word to use in this situation? Does this other word actually describe the situation even better and in a way that actually benefits us culturally or societally? So we have kind of different objectives with both approaches, but it's what, what I see happening when people kind of understand these two ways that we can use semantics, especially when it comes to the word failure, is that people take this either or approach. And I'm not so sure that that's the best approach for us to take here, okay? I personally believe in both ways. Using semantics as a powerful way to break down dysfunctional systems that we have surrounding language and implied meanings of the terms that we're using, and then moving us in the direction that we want to move so that when we speak and use language as humanity as a whole, we can actually... Um, more clearly state what it is that we're trying to state in a way that benefits us, in a way that creates growth in the direction we want to be going in, instead of creating growth that we feel like we're stuck with, or results that we feel like we're stuck with, that we don't actually really want. Um, And this is kind of like the position I feel that we're in with the usage of the word failure. So, yeah, one powerful example of this in my own life would be with the word failure. So, the word failure had a very powerful story behind it for me as a child. I mean, I carried, I carried a lot of meaning of that word into my adulthood. And many others, many of you out there have too. The meaning of this word for me had to do with fixed abilities and conditional worth. The word failure meant that I didn't do something that was desired, and it was a period at the end of a sentence that many times I didn't want to be a period. I wanted it to be a comma. I wanted to get the results that time... And then say, okay, but that was just that time. Now I've learned from it, and I will get different results the next time. So I will do things differently the next time to get the, d- the results desired. But what I was seeing was that a lot of times, with like how my, my parents approached it, with how teachers approached it, it was like, if you failed, it's like, okay, well, that's just it. You're a failure. You failed. but Period. You failed. And I'm kind of like, but wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. So I didn't get the, the results this time. But now, and by me getting those results, by doing what I did, I've now learned what I can do differently. This is part of the process of, of learning, right? But the use of the word failure implied something else. And so I always had this relationship with the word failure that like, I felt very um, restricted by it. And I felt like it was putting a period in a sentence where I was like, no, a comma goes there. And... I wanted to see you know, getting results that weren't desired as an opportunity to celebrate what was accomplished and learned so that I can even have greater chances of achieving the desired result the next time. But what I received along with the word failure as a child was more along the lines of punishment. It was words of how I had disappointed someone or how I should have known or better or should have done better. And I began to fear doing things that I might not get the, resi- the desired result for. I began to only seek out activities where I knew that I had the skill set to succeed the first time to avoid the punishment of failure and the stabs or the deductions in my perceived worth that would occur if I didn't get the desired result slash failure. And this meant that I held myself back from learning many things that I actually wanted to work on my skill set for in life because I was like, wait, the, the deficit is too great. I'm going to mess up too many times to get there. And by that time, my worth is going to be so devalued. There's no point anymore. So I should just stick with the things closer to what's actually reasonable for me, closer to what I already know, and just stick with those things, right? That was my approach to learning was this. I began seeing the learning process of going out there, doing work, achieving results, getting a different one, and then figuring out what can be done differently to create new results the next time. I began to see this as a process to avoid, because it meant that my worth was in question and might decrease if it takes me too many tries to get the result that's desired. I might become less valuable. I might become less likable, less lovable, less um, possibility for success. I I saw many other people in life doing the same thing. And so I was like, okay, so this is what this means. So we avoid failure. We avoid it because it means that, you know, our our worth, our likability, our lovability, our perceived success as a person becomes in question. And what's possible for us gets taken away. So we just better stick with what we're good at. And this, in case you don't know, this is a fixed mindset, not a growth mindset. So because of this, basically, I I saw learning as a perceived threat. And it was kind of like, okay, I only want to learn the things that are close enough to what I'm already good at. So I would actually go into areas of life and be like, okay, what am I allowed to learn here? And I would look at the possible options and be like, ooh, all of those sound really, really fascinating. I would love to learn them, but um, these aren't areas that I'm really so good in right now. So I'm going to stick with, I'm going to take, take this class in high school as my optional class because it's something I'm already quite good at. I'm going to take this class in university because it's something that I'm already quite good at. And this is how I began to s- decide what was possible for my life is based on what I was already good at. Not exploring, okay, so I'm I, I've got these skills in this area. It's something that I'm fascinated about learning, and I could learn it, you know, so why don't I get out there and, and start practicing and learning so that I can, you know, expand what's possible for me into this area of life. No, I would avoid that because of my fear of the process of learning, because it was associated with the word failure. And failure implied punishment reduction of perceived value, that I was less likable, less lovable. I would receive less love. I would receive less um, reward. I would receive less security. I would receive less praise. I would receive less acceptance from family, friends, teachers, society, whatever. So as an adult, I began to really, you know, see the, the destructive nature that this was causing in my own life. As well as systemically the use of failure and how it was affecting other people showing up in their lives as a personal trainer, as a nutrition specialist. And then eventually when I decided to become a life coach, I was like, wow, this word that we use here, failure is having such a, a you know, exponentially negative ripple effect out into culture, into society, into people's lives. And none of us are really looking at this. So I made a decision to stop using the word failure for not getting the results that I wanted. I wanted to begin to disrupt this system and show people that I didn't fail. Because this wasn't my period. You know, this wasn't the period at the end of my sentence. Me not getting the results that I wanted wasn't failure. It was me learning. I wanted people to begin to question this idea that failure was not getting the results that we wanted that you know if we showed up and did an action and that failure only happens when we choose to give up i wanted to encourage people to stop fearing the learning process because of this word failure and what our culture has used it for for so long to shame people for going out there and wanting to bridge large learning gaps from their current skill set to a skill set that they wanted to have that opened up more possibility for them that they wanted to have in their life. We as a culture have used this word, failure, to shame people who tried this and to cause fear in people who might want to try it. And there are many reasons why we might have done this. I, I think, you know, we could look at... you know, elitism, patriarchy, we could look at a lot of different ways or reasons why we as a society sort of adopted this idea and where it might have come from. But we've done this as a society is discourage people from being like, Oh, the learning gap from where you are right now, and what you would want to learn to be, you know, quote, unquote, good at this. That's quite large, you're gonna, quote, unquote, fail a lot of times. I mean, aren't you afraid of what people are gonna think about you after that? Shouldn't you think? Don't you think maybe you want to pick something more reasonable for what you're already good? that you know uh, or maybe maybe you should just read some more books and and be safe learn a little bit more we're going to talk about that later this whole let's learn a little bit more before we take action because we're trying to avoid this idea of failure So, yeah, I I wanted to disrupt this system, this cultural system that we had that was actually being used to shame and guilt and fear people into not stepping out into their life with their full power and exploring what could be possible with them if they chose to bridge massive knowledge and skill set gaps and be like, yeah, there's a massive gap there. And I'm going to be all up in it, falling down on my face 5,000 times. I don't care how many times it takes because I'm getting to the other side of this gap and being willing to do that. And my friends, we wouldn't have about 80% of the inventions that we have today if there weren't people in this world willing to do that. And I want you to think about that. How we are using this word culturally to imply a meaning. And then, yeah, we'll talk about it semantically and be like, oh, well, I'm just okay because I'm a human. I'm just going to accept the fact that I fail. And we think like this is a positive resolution to this, I just accept that I fail, you know, because I'm human and I'm flawed and I'm just going to, you know, accept that failure is inevitable. Like we think that this is somehow a positive turn. Like this is going to encourage people to get out there and bridge massive skill set gaps, bridge massive learning gaps, which we want for people to do. Why wouldn't we want people to do that? Why wouldn't we want to encourage people to do that and show up as 100% the badasses that they could be? Why, why do we think that we only want to allow 1% of the world to show up at 100% of their available level and the rest of us should just show up at like, I don't know, 10% just to be safe because, you know, failing too many times, that, that could be bad. We'll leave the, the 100% up to these 1% of people over here. Why would we want to do that? We have such a disrepresentation of what humanity is was capable of when we when we just, you know, accept that as being the truth about life. That few people actually succeed at their goals when we just accept that because of our acceptance of this concept of failure and using it synonymously with the process of learning. Have we even thought about the implications that this has about human potential, on human potential, on our individual potentials. I think we're not talking about this enough when when we look at the massive impact that this actually has. And the topic is avoided so often by people. So I decided that I wanted to disrupt this. And in doing so, I decided that my approach was going to be to not use the word failure. I wanted to swap out the word failure for learning. And when people would say, oh, I don't... I'm afraid that failure is going to happen. I'm like, well, it's not going to happen. Just choose. It's not going to happen. They would look at me and scratch their head. And they're like, how do I choose that failure doesn't happen? And I'm like, well, by choosing that, whatever results you get, you learn from it and you show up again and you revamp the process and you try again and they're like, but that's still failure. And I'm like, no, no, no that's learning. That's how learning works. Why, what, you know, why are we using the word failure synonymously with the process of learning? And so I personally chose to swap out the word failure for learning. And, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But a lot of you will be like, well, no, no, no. You can still learn and not fail. And no, you really can't. From a psychological perspective, learning also involves action. You're not learning if action hasn't been applied. So if you're not taking action because you're afraid of failure afraid of, quote-unquote, the learning process, actually, is what it is. You're afraid of the learning process, which is taking action with what you have absorbed in order to create behavioral change. If you're not doing that, you're not learning. What you're doing is sitting in an action, enslaved to a life fearing a term failure, and using it synonymously with the process of learning. So, yeah, I wanted to disrupt the system and start using the word learning instead of the word failure when it comes to the learning process. And along with this, you know, slow recognition that our usage of the word failure is having a negative impact on us societally, people started being like, okay, let's look at this at a semantic level. And then we ended up with these like two camps of people. And then it was like one group of people that was like, let's stop using the word failure. And the reason why we want to stop using the word failure is because we want for it to, we want to stop implying this, this, and this about learning. And then there was another group of people that was like, oh, come on, you guys, just get over your feelings about the word failure and just change the way your relationship to the word. And, you know, just, you know, we don't need to stop using the word failure. Everyone's going to use it. Just get comfortable with the fact that you're a human and you're going to fail and, you know, stop being so sensitive and blah, 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 blah. And so we ended up with like either or camping. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like, this is so dysfunctional. This isn't working here. And I I was kind of like, we need to understand the that both of these are actually beneficial and that it's one against the other and the other against the one. It's it's not working for us here. And so I began to really question my own reluctance to change my relationship to the word failure, and that I wanted to use changing the word failure as a way to disrupt the system and in my process of doing so i had neglected really evaluating my own relation relationship with the word failure and i decided what if i did both what would that actually mean what if we societally chose to do both how does that benefit us why are we looking at this either or cuz Rarely in life is an either-or solution the best solution. Let's let's be real here. How often have we ever chosen an either-or solution and not eventually recognized? Oh, we just went in the opposite extreme. Now let's meet back somewhere in the middle. So that's kind of what's happening here. So when we decide to change our relationship to a word, here's what happens. Here's what I discovered in me changing my relationship. To the word failure is that when I change my relationship to the word failure here's what where I become more resilient is the fact that other people are still going to use the word failure where I would say learning is the word we want to use there because using the word failure doesn't give us the result that we actually want so other people are still going to use this word and if I don't choose to change my relationship to that word then I will always constantly feel the need or the desire to defend my worth every time someone else uses the word failure to describe the learning process. And what this meant is that I was slowly, and other people are slowly, becoming more and more dependent on other people seeing that what we're doing is learning, not failing, in order for us to believe that what we're doing is learning and it's not something bad. So if I changed my relationship to the word, then the system no longer had its negative implication on me, even as other people used it. It didn't have so much pull for me to be like, oh no, I need to, I, no, I need to stop you there. I didn't fail. I learned, and stop trying to need other people's validation that what I was doing was learning. I was able to give myself permission to show up and learn fiercely, and let other people think that I was failing. But here's the other side to this: I can do this. While also, in my way, disrupting the system by not using the word failure out of the purpose of what I believe failure actually means, which is choosing to stop taking action towards a goal, choosing to stop trying to get the results that you want. That is failure, because there's a period there. Didn't get the results I wanted, period. And I'm not trying anymore. So... By doing both, I'm able to accomplish two tasks at the same time. I free myself fully to learn and fall on my face as many times as I want to and let people say fail, 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 fail all around me all they want to and I'm just like, haha, I'm learning and it's great for me. It's great for me. But at the same time, I don't use the word failure because then what it does is even though we cannot control other people using the word When I change my usage of the word, what ends up happening is it causes other people to question their usage of the word. This is about, I did a a podcast episode not too long ago on this, talking about dissenting opinions. And that the, the goal of dissent is not necessarily to win the person over to our side. It is to get them to question their usage of their argument in a way to come up with a higher quality argument. And the same can be used when we talk about our usage of words. When I call someone to scratch their head about the usage of the word failure, even if they don't stop using the word, every time they use it, they will think a little bit more about what they actually mean when they use that word. And what its implied meaning for them actually means. So therefore, they will maybe stop using it in some circumstances a little bit more. They will have a little bit higher quality thinking surrounding the usage of that word and when it is used. And this is the result that we want. It's not about... You know, oh, I'm not using that word anymore because I'm protecting other people's feelings. We're not responsible necessarily for other people's feelings. If we are constantly worried about what other people might imply about a word and what it's going to cause them to feel all of the time and like, oh, this group over here might have this implication, this, you know, then language really starts to break down. So we, we do have, we don't want to become victims to language and we don't want to create victimhood to language. But at the same time, when we can see a societal direction that we're moving in with the usage of a word that is taking us in a direction that we don't actually want, and we want to question that direction, then it benefits us to try to systemically break down the usage of that word by, in certain circumstances where that word would be socially acceptable to use, we choose to use a different word that better describes what we want that process to actually be, what we want that circumstance to actually mean. So I truly believe that doing both of these simultaneously is benefit beneficial to us. I can know that failure doesn't mean something bad about me now. And anyone can use it around me. And I don't have to accept the story that something bad has happened or that my worth or my abilities are in question. What is possible for me is in question. It's simply a learning opportunity. While at the same time, I can choose to use the word learning instead of failure when it's about me not getting a result that I want, but I'm going to try again, and I'm going to try again, and I'm going to try again. And until I choose to say, you know what, I'm giving up on trying, it's not failure. That's learning and I want to learn. And the moment that I choose to stop trying on something, I am more than happy to say, yes, I chose to fail. I chose it. And that is my choice. That is my right. That is my power as a human to choose to fail at something. But I don't choose to fail. I don't. I don't choose to fail at my business, even though most people would say, oh my god, he's failed so many times. Why hasn't he given up yet? You know, and I, to me, I haven't failed yet. I have learned a lesson every time I've not gotten the result that I wanted and shown up better for it the next time. And every podcast episode I put out, every post I put on social media, every time I add something to my website, every time I modify my coaching offers, every time I, you know, market coaching offers, every time I put out a marketing campaign, guess what? I learn every time more and more. My skills in these areas, compared to where they were five years ago, are so vastly different. And that, to me, is amazing to look at. You know, yes, I've fallen on my face probably about, I don't know, 10,000 times in the process. But I love that. Because every time I fell on my face, I saw an opportunity to be like, okay, that didn't get the results I wanted. So what worked... What didn't work? And why didn't these certain parts work? And why did these parts work? And how do I modify the parts that didn't work to still work with the parts that did work to come up with a different result next time? And I keep showing up and keep showing up. And my friends, as I look at my skill set growing and increasing and the number of skills that I have slowly increasing... Guys, this is exciting for me. This is super exciting. Falling on my face is exciting. Because every single time, on the other side of that, I'm like, oh my god, look at all these things that I learned. Look at all these things that I can do now that I wasn't able to do before. Because, well, I was able to do, but I didn't know how I was going to be able to do it. And now I know how to do it. Like, this is really cool stuff. And so many of us are resistant to this process. And by me being willing to work on my relationship to the word failure while also changing my usage of the word, I have been able to create a life in which I am unstoppable in going after my goals. And I'm doing my part to break down the systemic use of the word failure that is creating a system, a social system in which people are afraid to approach the learning process, especially when the learning gap is perceived as being really large. Because they're ashamed of how many times they will fall on their face in the process of bridging that gap. And I want to end that. I want everyone who's at skill set zero, who wants to be at skill set 20, to be like, yeah, I want to be at skill set 20 and run out there and fall on their face as many times as they want to, to get to number 20. And I want to clap with them every time they fall on their face and be like, what did you learn? What are you going to do differently next time? That's right. Get up and let's do it. We're getting you to number 20 here. Like, I want people to not be ashamed of this process and imagine what will be possible in this world... In 20, 50, 100 years, if more people start showing up and doing this with their lives, if the 1% successful people, the elite of the world, becomes 5%, becomes 10%, imagine what would become possible for humanity as we slowly grow that number of people that are willing to show up and go from skill set 0 to skill set 20, and they don't care how many times they fall on their face in the process, because that is their power and right as a human to choose that journey, and to love themselves entirely through that journey, and to celebrate themselves entirely through that journey. And that's what I want more of. I want to break down this systemic use this semantics of the word failure and how we're using it synonymously with the, with the process of what is actually learning. I want to break that down and see what happens with humanity when we change that. There's another reason why, and I, I, want, I want to caution you on this. If you are someone that's in the camp of, oh, come on, we can just, I'll change my relationship to the word and accept the fact that failure happens. There's another reason why We don't want to really take this approach solely by itself, instead of also working on systemically changing it. And it has to do with language itself. If we all go around, not just with the word failure, with any words that we have these relationships with, we can also talk about love, we can talk about um, the usage of words like... um, We've got love, we've got relationships, we've got success, you know, all these different words that have these implications um, to them, like really powerful implications that, that create models of the world for us that we're, I'm not sure we fully understand what the implications that those models have. But if we all go about just changing our relationships to the word and not disrupting systems to change systemic usage of a word and the semantics of a word, then we, we end up creating chaos within a language. We render the language almost useless. The effectiveness of it, the structure of it, breaks down. When everyone starts using the same word as meaning so many different things, because we just don't want to change the usage of the word, then language starts to break down. He says the word failure means this. She says the word failure means that. He says the word failure means this. She says the word failure means that. And we end up being like, when someone uses the word failure, we have to be like, stop, hold on. Before you move any further, how are you using that word? And then the efficiency of language begins to break down. Because then every time we use a word, we have to explain, and by using that word, I mean this definition. And then we say two more words, and by using that word, I mean this definition. And this becomes very ineffective in our objective with the with language. With language, the idea is that we want to be able to convey ideas to other people so that they understand what we feel, what we mean, what we want them to understand. So if we just all start changing our relationship to the word and stop changing our usage of the and don't stop changing our usage of the word, or I'm sorry, don't start changing the usage of a word, then we end up breaking down the fundamental value and benefit of language. And I want us to really begin to think about that here. This camp of people that's just like, oh, come on, we just keep using the word failure and change your relationship. Get over it. You know, stop being so sensitive. Like, okay, yeah, we can say that all day long, but then let's think about the implications of this. If we all just start using failure in our own way, then we never know when someone's saying failure, like, wait, do you mean like. I failed as in I don't get to try again, or do you mean I failed as in I didn't get the results this time, and I'll try again? Like, do you mean that you failed as in you're giving up? Do you mean that you failed as in, like, you just didn't get the results this time, or, you know, how are you, like, we, the word failure becomes, like, a useless word then, so why do we even have it? And I question this, too, like, why do we use the word failure synonymously with the term learning? Like, why do we even have these two separate words if we're going to use them synonymously? Which is why I question why, like, why don't we stop using the word failure for the learning process? Then, literally, learning and failing have two different meanings. Which they should have two different meanings because they're two completely different things. And we're using them synonymously. So, I want to communicate today this idea that we can... Yes, I want you to change your relationship to words. Especially the word failure. I want you to really question your story around the usage of the word failure. But I also want you to begin to recognize that we have an obligation, we have a responsibility here as humans to break up this systemic usage of the word failure and the implications that it's having on learning for younger generations, for our generation, for older generations, for people in general, what this implies. And we have a responsibility to do that. I want us to approach this with some openness here and some willingness to see that having this either-or approach isn't really serving us here. And that we don't also just want to sit in unawareness with the usage of language and simply just accept meanings that we think have to, we have to believe about ourselves and life because of the common usage of language and the implied meanings of words as a culture and as a societal level. We also need to understand these aren't like, you know, Natural rules or something. They are just, these are suggestions that have evolved over time to have a massive amount of social acceptance. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. We have a right to question this at any point in time when language is creating an idea that is stifling growth in humanity, that is stifling our ability to see our self worth as humanity. Why are we not questioning this? You know, we think that, oh, because the the word implies this at such a large level, like, we don't question that. You know, if it's been that way for this long, we just keep, you know, we just accept it. You know, like, this is how it has to be. Don't, don't, you know, don't rock the boat too much. And I'm like, you know, bullshit. <laughs> Let's rock the boat. Why are we not rocking the boat? Especially when we can do something as simple as stop using the word failure synonymously with the process of learning. So, Several studies show, and this is I looked at this over the the past couple of weeks here. Several studies show that our our concept of failure does have this implied, powerful meaning to it. And, I, and I'm saying this because I know a lot of people, including my husband, they want proof that the idea of failure has an implication, and that it's not just like, oh, come on, people are just being sensitive. People want data. Okay, so the data is there, my friends. It is there, okay? There are studies that prove this. Several studies have shown that when people, and they did these studies in a lot of different ways. So basically, when people show up for something, and they have an anticipated result, and they get a result that's different than what they anticipate, some things happen. And I believe that our usage of the word failure synonymously with the process of learning has a lot to do with this. And the fact that we see our worth as being questionable, not as something that's unconditional, has a lot to do with this. So basically, here's what happens. When people show up to do something that's new for them, and they have an anticipated result, and they don't get that result, what ends up happening is they end up devaluing the worth of that result for them. And the reason why they do this is to protect their worth. So instead of showing up again for the thing that they want, because of the fact that they perceive that not getting the result does something to their worth, they devalue the goal so they convince themselves that they don't want it as much. So rather than going out there and trying again and possibly getting a different result, and then trying again, and possibly getting a different result. In order for them to protect their perceived value, they devalue the value of the goal itself. They try to convince themselves that they don't actually want it. And I want you to think about the implications of this. The implications of this are that people are giving up on their goals, their dreams, that could be like the next biggest invention to save lives, to change our lives, simply because they believe that their worth is questionable. And they believe that the learning process is something to avoid. And so therefore, they just convince themselves they don't want it. And this is why so few people get out there and create the amazing things that were like, oh my God, that's life-changing. He must be such an amazing person that he got out there and was willing to fall down all these times and do this. No, it's not because he's an amazing person or they or she is an amazing person. It's because they were willing to be in the learning process. They were willing to see that this is not failure. This isn't a bad thing. Learning is a good thing. Maybe they also use the term failure. Who knows? But the point of it is they were willing to get out there and fall down on their face as many times as it took to get the results that they wanted because they didn't fear their worth being devalued in the process. They knew that was the point, that that was part of the process. And there are so many studies that prove this, that over and over again, ways that, you know, people basically, um, when when they show up and, and they they even did a study one time where they they gave people a test and they told them what the result of the test needed to be. And then at the end of the test, they just randomly picked 50% of the people this, 50% of the people that. And it had nothing to do with their... I don't even think they graded the test. They just told 50% of the people that they scored in the lower 20th percentile. And then they told the other 50% of people that they scored in the upper 20th percentile. And then they told them that they would have the opportunity to take the test again. And they wanted. They asked the people before they gave them the opportunity to take the test again about their perceived happiness, their perceived value in receiving a score in the upper 10 percentile of the results. And here's what happened. The people that were told that they received a score in the lower 20th percentile, because they were asked before they took the test the first time how happy they thought they would be for getting a score in the top 10 percentile, their perceived happiness of getting the score in the upper 10 percentile dropped drastically. They literally, in their minds, devalued how happy they would feel for getting the results that they wanted to protect themselves. The people that got the results in the upper 20th percentile, when they were asked, hey, what would happen if you took this test again and you got it in the upper 10th percentile, then their perceived happiness was either equal or higher in what they thought they would be if they received the score in the upper ten percentile. Because they perceived that they had already gotten results that were favorable the first time, So it's going to be even sweeter the second time when they get an even better result. So what this says is that we have an implied meaning to not getting the results that we want and that the results we want being too far away from the results that we want or having to get results that we don't want too many times before we get the results that we want has an implied meaning about our worth as a human being. And that because of this, we would rather devalue the thing that we desire, the thing that we're actually created here to pursue and go after and awaken and and live our dreams. We devalue those and we reject ourselves internally to try and save face out there of what we think other people will believe about us to protect our perceived conditional worth. I want you to think about the implications of that. And what this means for us on a societal level. For people showing up with their fullest potential. At a time when we really want people to be showing up at their fullest potential. As we are seeing the pains of the direction that we are growing in, getting more and more out of control. We want people to be showing up at their fullest potential, not just 1% of the world. But we have this concept floating around about the learning process and being synonymous with failure that's causing a lot of people to not, to not show up at their fullest potential. I also conducted a poll myself. I polled people um, in, in Facebook groups. I polled people on LinkedIn. I polled some people on Instagram. I polled people in text messages, emails. I polled people on WhatsApp. I got, you know, about 130 people total to vote. So we're not talking about a huge, huge population here, but it was enough people that we can look at the data and notice some trends here. And I feel like the trends are gonna stay very true if we make the number of people larger and larger and larger. Um, You know, obviously, the difference between the numbers is maybe going to, you know, we, we have that effect of the larger we make the group, the more everyone appears to move towards the middle. But here's, so here was the poll, and here's the results that we got. Out of 130 people polled, I asked them, when it comes to the word or concept of failure, what do you think or feel about this concept or word? Response number one was... I do my best to avoid too much failure by learning as much as I can before trying something new. Response number two was I do my best to avoid too much failure by doing what is reasonably possible for me. Response number three, failure is something I am prepared to face a few times, but too many times feels dangerous to me or like I should try something else. Response number four is failure is an opportunity I'm willing to do as many times as it takes to get the result that I want. Response number five is I look forward to failure because it means I'm growing, learning, and expanding what is possible for me. So, the results. Response number one got 35% of the results. I do my best to avoid too much failure by learning as much as I can before doing something new. Response number two got 20%. I do my best to avoid too much failure by doing what is reasonably possible for me. 20%. Response number three got 21%. Failure is something I'm prepared to face a few times, but too many times feels dangerous to me or like I should try something else. Response number four got 15%. Failure is an opportunity. I'm willing to do it as many times as it takes to get the results that I want. Response number five got 9%. I look forward to failure because it means I am growing, learning, and expanding what is possible for me. So we can break these five answers down into basically two categories here. Responses 1 through 3 show an avoidance to failure, which is being used synonymously with the learning process. So actually what these show is a lot of people that have either a very strong avoidance to the learning process or an a slight avoidance to the learning process. 76% of people polled fell within this group. The last two answers show a semi, what I would call, positive relationship with the concept of learning, even when using the word failure. Even when using the word failure, 24% of people showed a positive relationship to it. So what this tells me is that we still have a systemic semantic meaning to the word failure that means something that should be avoided. And we're associating that term with the process of learning. So as a whole, we have a dysfunctional systemic of the concept of failure. And 76% of people are believing in this dysfunctional, very negative concept of the word failure and it being synonymous with the process of learning. Think about that. 76% of people. And only 9% of people look forward to this as being something that they want, that they're excited about. They're excited about the learning process of getting out there, doing things, falling on their face, and then showing up with what they learned to do it differently the next time. 9% of people look forward to that process. Think about the implications of that. That means 91% of people don't look forward to that process. Even the ones that say they're willing to fail as many times as they want— Even in this answer, what this suggests, because they wouldn't pick number five, by picking number four over number five, what this suggests is they see failure as something that they have to deal with in life and just get over it. And what this means is that there is a lot of inauthenticity in the relationship to the word failure, a lot of inauthenticity in the relationship with the process of learning, and a lot of surviving concepts, theories, interpretations of life that they just feel like they have they're stuck with surviving a lot of inauthenticity there and a lot of survival tactic there and i want more of us to be in category number five i look forward to learning we use the word failure in this but i look forward to learning i look forward to falling down on my face because guess what it means it means i'm expanding what is possible for me that's exciting only nine percent of people wanted to choose that answer I want you to think about the implications of this and how we use the term failure synonymously with the process of what it actually means to grow and learn. And simply saying, oh, well, failure is just going to happen. I'm just a human. I just have to deal with the fact that failure will happen. And that's just, I guess it has to be okay. This still has a very powerful effect on people not showing up for their goals fully because they still believe that they have to just resign themselves to surviving this experience of failure and their worth being in question in order to achieve the results that they want. And the truth is, it will happen. We will fall down on our face. We won't get the results. We want more times than not, you know, until we get the result we do want. But we want to be really careful here about calling that failure. Because failure has the implication of something negative. The semantic use of the word failure implies something negative. And sure, we can change our relationship to the word, But we also have an obligation as a whole, as humanity, to question why are we using that word when it's actually describing the process of learning? Why aren't we using the word learning? I learned. Why aren't we falling down on our face and be like, oh my god, I just learned something, instead of falling down on the face and be like, oh shit, I just, I just, I failed. Why are we doing that? Why are we choosing that? It's really fascinating to think about this. Why would we choose that? Because we believe we have to, why are we just accepting that we believe we have to use the, the word failure to describe w- the learning process and that we have to fear too much failure? That it might mean something bad about us, that our worth would somehow be in question for it. Why aren't we really questioning this on a semantic level, both in our relationship to the word and our usage of the word synonymously with the, the process of learning? I see this happening with my clients, too. When they begin working with me, they, they give themselves this, this sort of imaginary, ambiguous number of the amount of times that they're allowed to get a different result than what they want before it starts to impact their, their self-image, their perceived self-worth, and what they think other people perceive of them and their worth. And to me, this feels very sad. It feels sad because the truth is, we don't know the number of times that we will not get the result that we want before we get the result that we want. What if it's 51 times, but we decide that 50 is the limit before we decide that getting up and doing it again with some minor tweaks is too risky to our perceived worth or image? And little do we know that if we just got up that one more time, made that one more tiny adjustment, that we would get the result we were looking for. I think about the Wright brothers. How many times they didn't get a plane to fly successfully in the air before they did. And think about this. Depending on where in the story you stop, they either failed or they succeeded. If we go to the end of the story, we know they succeeded. If we stop in the middle of the story, we can be like, oh, they failed. They failed. But did they fail? No, they succeeded. And all of the times that wasn't a success before then, guess what it was? Learning. That's what it was. They were learning Why things didn't work so that they could figure out what would work and how they would figure out the way to make their objective work. I want you to think about this. And how many of you have this sort of, are living this life where you have this ambiguous maybe number in your head of how many times you're supposedly allowed to try for a goal that's a big goal of yours? before you start thinking, oh, no, people are going to start looking at me like I'm stupid now, I better stop trying, you know, people are going to start looking at me like I'm a failure, like I'm not able to be successful, my value, my worth, my lovability is probably going down right now. How many of you are living a life where this is actually happening? How many of you aren't paying attention to the fact that you probably have this concept going on in the back of your head? The truth is, 76% of you do have this going on in the back of your head. That there is this fear of not getting the results you want a certain number of times. And what that means about you as a person, your worth, your lovability, your acceptability, your successfulness, your opportunity in life. And I know some of you are going to bring up this, okay, so there's this story that some of us have of, oh, but what happens if I keep trying my whole entire life and then I die having tried my whole entire life and never got the results? So what? So what? First of all, it's not just about you. Stop being so (laughs) self-absorbed. It's not just about you. So many inventions that we have came from the fact that someone showed up and fell on their face their entire life and then died and someone picked up their work where they left off. And then we ended up with an invention that saved lives. We ended up with an invention that changed the face of humanity and what was possible for us. It's not just about you. Get over yourself. It's not just about you. And second of all, second of all, And I've said this over and over again, I'm going to say it again, we keep missing the point of the goals and the process of going after it. Achieving the result is one tiny moment of pleasure. The journey is the fulfilling part of the goal. It is the process of building more and more of this well-being, this ability to believe in ourselves, this confidence, this building trust in ourselves. Building more belief in what's possible for us, building more opportunity within ourselves for and for all of humanity. Achieving the goal is cool. Yeah, so what you achieve the goal. Don't get me wrong. We aim for it with all that we have. But guess what? When we get to the goal, so what? we achieve it we, we, we hit this minute of this moment of pleasure and then guess what do you think like you're just gonna float off on a, this little cloud into the sunset and be like you achieved the goal? You won life, it's over now. No, guess what? you still have life to live. And you're still going to have this drive to want to see what you're capable of. And you'll move on to the next goal. Achievement of goals is great. Yeah, sure. Okay, you can achieve a goal. But you're missing the point of the setting, the big goals. The goals that you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I will ever accomplish this in my life. But damn, I'm going to try. I'm going to show up every day of my life. And I might not hit it. But, you know, I'm going to get as close to it as I can, and maybe someone picks up my work after that, and they they finish it for me. But here's the point. Even if you never achieve the results of the goal, it's not like you don't benefit from it. The benefit of going after a goal isn't the momentary pleasure you get from achieving it. It is all of the trust, the confidence, the resilience, the self-worth, the unstoppability, the belief in yourself. The well-being that you create in the journey along the way, that is the point of it. So my friends, stop being so self-centered and egotistical when it comes to your goals and being like, oh, I don't know if I can achieve it in this life, so I better not try because, oh, that would be awful if I died and didn't achieve the goal. So freaking what if you die and you don't achieve the goal? Someone else will pick it up and achieve it. But the fact of the matter is, in that whole entire life, you will be showing up unstoppably, advocating for yourself, building confidence in yourself, learning so many skills in life as you learn the resilience of picking yourself up, learning from what you just did and trying something new, in that process, your life becomes so fulfilling because you are always moving towards creating something that is powerful and valuable for you in this life. And that, my friends, is what makes a fulfilling life, not achieving the goals. You can achieve the goals, it doesn't take away from the fulfilling life, but even if you don't, that doesn't take away from the fulfilling life because the achievement isn't what's fulfilling. It's everything that we learn about ourselves and what we're capable of and who we are that we've forgotten that we are along the way. That's what makes goals so powerful. So, so what if you die and you don't achieve the results that you wanted? So what? You will live a life so big. You will live a life where you are constantly moving towards something that is important for you, creating more and more of it in this life around you, expressing more and more of it in this life around you. What else are you going to do with your life? What else do you want out of life? Do you really think it's more fulfilling sitting around and hiding? And eating your feelings away, drinking your feelings away, social mediaing your feelings away, televisioning your feelings away, shopping your feelings away, vacationing your feelings away, does that sound more fulfilling than getting out there and choosing to say, you know what, I'm going after this with everything I have until the day I die. And I'm going to learn so much about myself and what I'm capable of, and I'm going to produce so much of these things that I value in life along the way for myself, for my children, for my friends, for my family, for everyone around me, for life around me, I am going to be an expression of these things that I value through this entire journey of unstoppably going after this goal that I have because I am being pulled towards it with my being, that I know that I am, that I am discovering that I am, that is underneath all of these layers of inauthenticity. I'm sorry, my friends, but that sounds like a fulfilling life. Not sitting around and eating potato chips, trying to forget about the fact that we don't feel like we have control in our lives and we don't feel like we can create the lives that we want so we might as well just enjoy some cheap pleasure hits every now and then that are slowly destroying our bodies so that we're going to die sooner (laughs) and not have to think about the fact that we're not going after our goals. I'm sorry, I don't want to get to, I don't know about you, but I personally don't want to get to the end of my life and say that that's what my objective of life was. And I think a lot of you out there don't want that same thing. What you do want is to live that fulfilling life where you show up and you advocate for yourself and you come at life with the fierceness of your values and what is truly important for you and explore your potential with a fierceness and advocate for yourself to show up again when you don't get the results that you want and keep learning and keep showing up until that very last breath. Can we set signposts along the way that say like yes we're we're on our way we achieved this we achieved that so now I know I'm moving in the right direction. Sure we can do that. But here's the thing. We've got to let go of this idea that those little signposts hitting them is the goal. The goal is not the goal. I know that sounds crazy, but it really isn't. When we achieve the goals, we release more possibility into the world. Yes, but guess what? We are constantly releasing new possibility in the world every time we show up and we advocate for ourselves when we have fallen on our face and not getting the results we want. We teach human potential in the process of doing this. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want to contribute more of in this life more badassness, more fierceness, more people showing up with vulnerability, openness, and love, and a fierce confidence that isn't so fragile that we have to attack each other out of fear of our own perceived conditional worth, and what we're thinking other people are thinking about us, and how our worth might be going down in their eyes. I want to see a world full of people that show up with this compassionate, fiery fierceness that is about their potential and encouraging other people to show up with their potential because it's not a threat. That's what I want to contribute more of in this world. That's why I am choosing to not only change my relationship with the word failure, but I'm disrupting the systemic use of it synonymously with the process that is learning, that is growing. I want to encourage you all to consider today if that's something that you want to do too. That's what this episode is all about. We have a powerful tool of semantics available to us. We have a a powerful opportunity right now in this life to change how we're using the word failure synonymously with the process of learning and for those of you out there that are like oh no 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 i'm not against learning but learning isn't failing learning is something different learning is when you go to class and you and you absorb the information and no i told you i would tell i would tell you about this later so psychology the psychology of learning the definition of learning from a psychological perspective learning involves behavioral change this behavioral change should take place as a result of practice and experience, the behavioral change must be relatively permanent and last for a relatively long time. So, what I want you to take out of this, behavior is involved in learning. Behavior change. If we absorb information, and a lot of you all picked this, this was the number one answer picked by you guys, and this is why I'm addressing this specifically. If we just sit around and absorb information in order to avoid quote-unquote failing, then we have avoided the learning process. Because the learning process is getting out there, trying different behaviors, trying different practices, and experiencing the results of them, and then learning, and doing it differently. That is the learning process. If there is no action, it's not learning. And so many of us call learning the absorption of information. And so many of us sit in this stage... And we don't act until we feel like we've eliminated any risk of behaving in a new way that doesn't get the results that we want. And then we call that behaving that doesn't get the results that we want, we call that failure. So we end up actually avoiding the learning process, which would be taking new information, getting out there, practicing it, and getting the experience of what happens when we practice it, and then trying it differently the next time. That is the learning process because it results in behavioral change. So many people never get to the action phase of this, so they never truly learn. And so many people avoid the action phase of learning for so long out of fear of that process of learning due to the fact that they perceive that as being a word called failure. I want us to consider today what this is causing us to miss out on, on an individual level and a societal level of what is truly possible in this life, what we're truly capable of in this life. And I get that some of you out there are like, oh, but what about police and doctors and blah, 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 blah. And we can't just get out there and act and act and act. And, you know, we might hurt other people and da da, da. And I get that. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have these, these, you know, ways that we'll try and justify it. And, you know, I'm not saying that we have to get out there and practice the action on, you know, live citizens or live patients. But these doctors, these lawyers, these um, police officers, they do practice their actions of their career over and over again, and they get different results over and over again, and they practice different scenarios over and over again to purposefully get different results so they can learn what could possibly happen in these scenarios so they will be prepared for handling those possibilities. So they will learn what they are fully capable of when they know about these possibilities. They are willing to get out there and fall down on their face and learn. And those who hold back in these processes are usually the doctors, the police officers, the lawyers, that when faced with challenging situations, that we want to be able to expect them to be able to confidently rise and create predictable results in, they don't get those predictable results. And they might even quit their job. Or they spend their entire careers avoiding challenging situations because they're avoiding learning from them. And I want to question you guys, how many of you all are doing this too, with your dreams, with your goals, with your values and your visions in life? We're not talking about getting out there and possibly killing people. I'm talking about getting out there and writing the thesis. I'm talking about getting out there and writing the proposal. I'm talking about getting out there and pitching your idea to someone. I'm talking about getting out there and investing the money and time into what it is that would help you grow the dream that you want to grow. I'm talking about getting out there and investing in yourself through working with a coach so that you can figure out what you want to grow in this life and remove all of the layers of inauthenticity so you get clear on it and can show up as the badass that can create those things in your life. That's what I'm talking about. You're not going to kill anyone in that process. So stop using that like, oh, no, we have to be careful because we might kill someone. It's just dangerous. There are certain ways that we can mitigate the way in which we don't get the results that we want. But that doesn't mean that we fear not getting the results that we want. There is a complete difference. So stop using that as a justification to not take action and being like, oh, no, I'm just being responsible and safe here. No, I'm calling your BS here. I'm calling you forward, my friends. You're not being responsible and safe here. You're using excuses to not explore where you can get out there and push the boundaries and fall on your face without killing someone. (laughs) Because there are still ways to do that without killing someone. Surgeons practice it all the time in medical school. It's not like, you know, when they're in medical school that they get handed live patients and they're like, oh hope you can make it through this practice because if you don't, this person is dying. No, they have cadavers that they try on and they they fall on their face many times in practicing with these cadavers. They have computer programs, they have models that they work on and they fall on their face many times before they perfect their craft. And then they feel the confidence of showing up and doing it on a live person where we want to be able to expect that they can create the anticipated results. But guess what? Do you know how many times great surgeons fall on their face in medical school? More than the ones that don't become great surgeons. Because part of the process of learning is that action, is that falling on your face and experiencing that and learning from it. So how many of you all are allowing yourself to get stuck in this information absorption process and calling that learning and just being I'm just trying to be safe and responsible here. You know, don't want to get out there and cause too much damage. I'm going to call your BS today. I'm going to call you forward and say, own your power here. Where is the action you can take that you're avoiding taking? Because I know it's somewhere. Stop hiding behind that story as being the reason why you're not taking the action that you can take today, the step forward that you can take today, and saying, you know, waiting until you learn enough that you can take five steps ahead. Stop doing that. Stop stifling your potential. Stop stop encouraging a story of your worth being questionable if you step out and fall on your face. Stop encouraging that belief. I want us to begin questioning all of this today. Using semantics to challenge all of this is, a, is one great way. Change your relationship to the word failure. Sure, free yourself from the bondage of a dysfunctional societal meaning. But then choosing different words in context where the word failure is socially acceptable. We want to do that too. And I want us all to begin to consider all of the ways that we have begun to layer the term failure over top of the process of learning and what this implica- what this implies for us individually and as a society i want us all to begin considering today how we can actively do this consideration this questioning in a way to advocate for ourselves to advocate for humanity as a whole i want to see the process of learning and growing to become something that we're excited about again something we encourage each other to journey into not say oh no be careful that you you might fall on your face so just maybe try this over here instead isn't that more reasonable for you and then we just survive mediocrity out of fear of the fact that we, th- we believe that our worth is conditional and that getting out there and falling on our face slowly decreases that worth. I want us to begin questioning that and seeing this and seeing the unexpected results that we get by getting out there and, and tr- you know, trying, knowing we're going to fall on our face. We'll see that as an opportunity. See that as something we're excited about. My friends, failure is a choice. We make that choice when we put a period at the end of the sentence, I didn't get the results I wanted. Period. That's failure. Learning is what happens when we place a comma there, and then the word yet. I didn't get the results I wanted yet. That's learning. And there's a huge difference. Failure can't happen to you unless you choose to put a period at the end of that sentence where a comma is allowed to go. And your worth is unconditional. So you can accept the fact that a comma is allowed to go there, and you are going to put a comma there as many times as it takes to get the results that you want because you are excited about every comma that you will live through and what you will learn in the process. And creating that well being, creating that possibility, creating that unstoppability for all of humanity. We have this powerful tool available to us, it's at our disposal. Semantics is a powerful tool, and I want us to consider it today, along with us considering how we've been using the word failure synonymously with the process of learning and what that means for us on an individual level. I want to call you all forward who notice this in your life, because this is why I'm here to coach, is to help you all to begin to see these stories that you have built up that are stifling your potential, stifling what you will allow yourself to believe is possible, stifling what you will allow yourself, how many times you will allow yourself to get out there and do something and not get the results you want before you see, the, no, that's too much. It's going gonna, it's gonna to decrease my worth. I've got to stop here. And what if the next try would have been it? What if the next try would have been it? There's a lot more here that, that we could talk about, but I'm going to stop here. We're at like an hour and 20 minutes here, so I'm going to stop here and leave this here. My challenge for you right now, what I want to call forward in all of you is for us to begin using semantics to not only dismantle our own personal relationships with the word failure, but how we use it on a systemic level synonymously with the learning process and what that means. I'm here to help any one of you who see this in your life and the implications that it has in your life. Because I'm telling you what, my friends, pulling back this layer of inauthenticity and seeing what's underneath it, the value that that creates in your life, your earning potential, your learning potential, your life potential, your fulfillment potential explodes when you see this. And this is the core of the work that I do with people. So if you see this going on in your own life, I want to encourage you to reach out. I offer a free discovery call. We can talk about where this is showing up in your life and how my coaching could be helpful for you and the different options that you have as far as coaching with me goes because you have several options. So I want to encourage you, don't just leave this in the information absorption phase. You're not learning just by doing that. Learning implies behavior. Change the behavior. I'm calling you forward. Just reach out. I'm here for you, okay? I'm here for anyone. And I'm also here to encourage you all that we want to stop approaching this semantic argument about failure from an either-or perspective. I'm here to encourage you all that if you find yourself in one of these camps being like, oh, I'm just going to keep using the word failure and accepting that it's going to happen and I'll just you know, change my relationship to it and accept that failure is just inevitable because we're, we're humans and we're flawed and we're broken. I want to encourage you that, first of all, there's another story about failure and that's the fact that failure is only happening when you choose it to happen and that if it's not that, it's learning. But also I want to encourage you, those of you who are in this camp, that you also, we have a benefit in breaking down the systemic use of the word failure by not using it in circumstances synonymously with the process of learning. Change the words you use. Don't just change your relationship to the word failure. Those of you out there that are out there just changing the words you use, I want to encourage you to not fear victimhood to these words. They don't have to mean what people have told you that they have to mean. You can change your meaning of these words for yourself, too. Because other people are still going to continue to use these words in certain contexts. The question is, can you free yourself from that having an impact on your perceived self-worth and what you believe is possible for you? I want to encourage you all to get out there and do both of these. I want to encourage any one of you who recognizes a story of failure and learning in your life and a fear of failure in your life. I want to encourage you to reach out. And I am here to help you get on a path where you unstoppably create your most authentic and fulfilling life. And you are not afraid to see exactly what you want, no matter how challenging, no matter how many times you're going to fall on your face to achieve it, because you know you're worth it and you know that the journey and what you're going to learn about yourself in the process is the truly fulfilling part. I want to help you get on that path where you are unstoppable in creating that life. I'm here for you, okay? All you have to do is reach out. That's all I've got for you guys today. I love you all. I hope you found something fascinating in this episode, something helpful in this episode. Behavior change is required for learning. Remember that. All right? I love you all. It's time to rise and thrive. And until we talk again here next week, ciao. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the content of this podcast. If you did, please subscribe so that you're one of the first people to know when I release a new episode each week. If you have any questions or if you have interest in learning more about the coaching that I do with my clients one-on-one, then just head over to my website at www.lifecoachseth.com. That's www.lifecoachseth.com. There you're going to have the ability to reach out to me for questions that you might have or to book your free discovery call with me to discuss what one-on-one coaching with me might be like for you. You can also check out and order your copy of my book to get a taste of what I'm all about as a person and as a coach. I'm so happy that you joined us today and I hope to have you here again next week. So until then, let authenticity be the guide to your most unstoppable and fulfilling journey of life.